Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who is the shy man of the White Mountains? Does Champ really exist? What happens when you build a career that combines passions for the paranormal, history, and political science? Hello and welcome to the 741st broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on O one twelve forty radio and our 10th year on the air. I'm Ben and those uh, not-so-shy questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal and father, Paul. And uh, today we bring you a new guest who uh, is... Oh. Who is rapidly becoming known in the filmmaking and paranormal fields, and he is rapidly making his way here. Uh, and we will uh, welcome your calls today. Numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 from anywhere else. And uh, you can send emails as well, before, during, and after the show, to uh, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. And don't forget about Facebook messages. Okay. Uh, we... Um well, I'll introduce him, but he might not be here for a while. Uh, he's just texted us that he is stuck in the, in traffic. Okay. Yeah, uh, because of an accident. Um, okay. <laughs> GPS says another 40 minutes, but uh, okay. Um, ben, I'm going to ask you to text him back as I yak here and just tell him that that's okay. Whenever he can get here, uh, he can get here. All right, so uh, we're going to um, introduce him anyway, and... Uh, uh, t- uh, tell him to tune in on his car radio to maybe at least he'll hear us and see where we're going. Sure. Uh, Alexander Petikoff is pretty young, especially compared with me, uh, but he is already a recognized multimedia professional with global accomplishments. Born in South Africa to parents from the former former Yugoslavia, Alexander grew up in the United States. United States. Even as a wee lad, he was passionate about filmmaking, history, global occurrences, travel, and cryptozoology. Alexander is a 2015 cum laude graduate of Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, and he holds a BA in film, video, and interactive media uh, with double minors in political science and history. Boy, that's a big course load. Uh, we first met Alec a few years ago at the Northeast Parafest, and he was a colleague from the start. Alec lives in New Hampshire, uh, as any good guest on this show does, and he's coming back. He's, he'll, he'll be here as soon as he can. Uh, again, he's stuck in uh, uh, an accident, uh, traffic, and uh, we'll just, uh, we are looking forward to having him in the studio. And as a matter of fact, uh, we introduced him as a new guest, but in fact, uh, he was on the panel at last year's Saucer Symposium in New Hampshire, and uh, he was on the show then. Uh, but this is this will be his first time as a regular guest. Also, next week, um, he will, I believe he will be, well, I don't know, my schedule is messed up here. I think he'll, but he will be back certainly June 10th when we're going to have a very, very special 10th anniversary show uh, on uh, Behind the Paranormal here. So uh, let's fall back on our plan B, and uh, we will go to some emails, uh, as if this were an open line show, uh, that we did not get to on our last open line show. So uh, Ben is uh, texting here, and if you want to take this one, this is from Steph in, uh, I'll try to pronounce it, Jundalup, Western Australia. Jundalup, huh? Yeah. A little little bit of a mouthful there. All right, so Steph writes to us. Paul and Ben, in your uh, book, uh, Behind the Paranormal, you talk about possible interbreeding between intruders and native humans in prehistoric times, and you point out that either the intruders would have to be human themselves for the breeding to take place, or have amazing or amazing gene-splitting technology. Have you ever reached any more conclusions on that? Hmm. 
Uh, not really, not having um, any gene labs or geneticists at our disposal, uh, and I'm not trying to be wise there, it's just that we, we do tie into professionals uh, whenever we can uh, in areas where we have uh, no expertise, which is a lot of areas. Uh, however, it is, um, I have had discussions, informal discussions, with other people who write about this subject, some of whom have doctorates, and there is uh, <clears throat> pretty much agreement with that original premise that if we were messed with at any point, there uh, would have been, again, any blending. And, and what we're actually referring to, and I, we, Ben and I get into this in, in the first chapter of Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, our 2016 book, that um, any um, there seem to be two separate events in human prehistory, even remote prehistory, that uh, might be significant, certainly, for who we are, what we are, why we are the way we are, et cetera, et cetera. There is uh, evidence that um, uh, of this gene um, manipulation simply because in 2004 the human genome was mapped, as they say, for the first time. They, they took the whole uh, human genetic structure and, and literally mapped it out and pinpointed where things were. And there were in many ways more questions were, were, were created than answered. And I'm thinking of the fact that you have um, 23, uh, I should say, um, uh, a number of genes, 223 to be exact, that shouldn't be there if evolution as science understands it is correct, uh, in, even according to a number of interpretations. No, nobody knows where these genes came from. Uh, they are genes mainly having to do with the human brain, uh, they are not present in uh, other species, and uh, we really don't know much about that. So it just it, it looks as though somebody put them there, and that as far as who did it or why we don't know. Uh, the other incursion, <clears throat> the incursion that may have resulted in this, I mean, just speculating wildly, is perhaps uh, a, a, a visitation or incursion by someone different from the people who were living here at the time. Uh, and we go back to three ancient documents that we tied into for the book, and that was the uh, Atrahasis creation narrative of the Akkadian Empire, which you probably never heard of, but one of the oldest uh, empire, certainly the first known empire, involved Babylon, Babylonians and a few other people, uh, Sumerians. And then uh, there was the, uh, the of course, Genesis, the book of Genesis, um, and uh, also uh, one other, the, the Karsag epics of the Sumerians. And these were written at about the same time, apparently, and tell a very similar story. Now, most people are familiar with Genesis and the story of the Garden of Eden. Well, if you if you read it in Hebrew and you cut away a lot of the divine imagery and poetry, you get what the other two documents say, and that's that you've got like an agricultural colony that was founded by somebody and was headed by the Most High, who lived either on an island in the sky or on some really humongous mountaintop. So who who was that? You know, and then there were there were various uh, people who worked for this Most High. Uh, he had a wife or or a uh, counter female counterpart, uh, even in the Hebrew Bible, the Shekinah. Believe it or not, you know, Yahweh had a female counterpart known as the Shekinah. Uh, I think that theologically that eventually evolved into the Holy Spirit, which has a lot of feminine characteristics. Much of the, you really put it that way, a lot of theologians are horrified. But I mean, it's it's 
shouldn't be. I mean, and today's Mother's Day, too. We're very happy Mother's Day to everyone, by the way. Indeed. So we all have the Shekinah way back, you know, mm. mother figure. Uh, or Nin Karsag uh, was another one in the Karsag epics. But anyway, what, what they did, they apparently were, I mean, if you read it a certain way, you could interpret them as geneticists. Because Nin Karsag took blood and saliva, according to the Karsag epics, and used it to create, to, to, to sort of galvanize the existing population, human or pre-human population, and turn them into workers. That's what it says. Now, maybe it's, it's a myth, and, uh, but of course, myth is, is just the vessel of the memory of the human race. So, uh, make a long story short, there does seem to have been some manipulation. Uh, there, there is also, what are the things we are interested in genetically? Like gold, right, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose. Why do why do we all love gold so much? There's there's a little bit of it. Maybe uh, the some of these uh, settlers, wherever they came from, were very interested in gold. And uh, I mean, it's possible they may have bred this into us. Uh, some of these uh, nobody's really pinned down, at least that I know of, the, some of these these extra genes that have been found. Well, it also has a genome. lot of like useful properties. You know, besides just being yeah, that's pretty. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So I mean that that might have something to do with it, especially if they were intruders looking for you know resources and elements. Yeah. But there's one thing that sort of popped up as a um, sort of a theme for um, you know let's say like abduction cases and and all that and ufology was you know people would report that you know these these extraterrestrials or whatever you want to call them mm. um, essentially were you know looking for resources or yeah, they were very yeah. interested in human resources. We're out and, there like, doing that now. Yeah, not exactly. Quite as advanced as they. Yeah, so uh, th- this is a very practical answer to this. But uh, the, the, uh, the original question from our, our friend in Australia was, what about this gene splitting? I mean, in other words, you can't take DNA. For, well, we're in Jurassic Park. They said, well, we took the, the, the DNA of a frog and filled in the DNA of the dinosaur. You know, I, I don't really think you can do that. There has to be very similar. That's why, you know, you know, a cat can't breed with a dog, okay? Mm. Cat can breed with other kinds of cats, but not, you know, not with dogs or skunks or anything, at least, you know, without tremendous gene splitting ability, which cats, as far as I know, don't have. Yeah. So, uh, unless the, so, so the, the, uh, implication is that whoever messed with us was very, very similar to us. In other words, how could Nin Karsag take the blood and saliva, prime DNA sources, of her own people and blend them with us and have anything result from it that's that's viable or, or could reproduce. So either they were people uh, in every genetic sense uh, or they had this gene-splitting technology where you could manipulate it so that could work. So I, nobody really knows, but uh, that, that's probably the best way we can answer your question. And we really haven't found any, any more about it, but what we have found or, or speculated upon is is a point for discussion that we have now and then. Makes sense. Okay. Now, I'm sure, before we get to the next email, I'm sure that there is a certain curiosity for those who knew that we were in Pennsylvania last night. Now, now Ben couldn't come, but uh, our good friend uh, Shane Searway, our regular co-host on our Open Line shows, and also uh, today's guest, uh, Alex, uh, Alec Petikoff, who is, is on his way here now, uh, and also uh, Chuck Credo from uh, Maine, who was a dear friend and colleague. We all went to Pennsylvania. Our Facebook page, we put... Uh, some pictures as well. That was, as it's always an interesting trip to the Pennsylvania Triangle, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben and I have been working on that case since uh, early 2016, and Shane as well. And uh, it is in western to west central Pennsylvania. 
uh, it is a flap area, as we kind of specialize in, and a flap being an area of intense paranormal activity of seemingly unrelated kinds all taking place in the same area. In other words, everybody, well, we had, we, we've had, we had our third neighborhood meeting last weekend, and we had 30 people show up. Uh, just about everyone, and this has been true in all the previous neighborhood meetings, uh, just about everyone has had Bigfoot encounters and has had UFO sightings and some of them have had uh, what would commonly be called ghost issues, okay, all taking place within this area. Now, we're pushing the envelope of the triangle out there. It essentially centers on the city of Dubois, Pennsylvania. Uh, don't pronounce it Dubois or they'll know you're a foreigner, you know, like from Rhode Island or somewhere. So <clears throat> that's what we've been working on. And uh, we, very interesting last weekend. This was the largest number of people we'd had with us. We don't have any formal group. Uh, we're just good friends and colleagues, all with different specialties. Uh, it was funny. Um, and we were talking about this at length on June 10th, when everyone who was on that trip will be here in the studio. And uh, it'll be our 10th anniversary show. And it'll be a two-hour special. Uh, the Boston Celtics, if they ever finish their season, uh, if they don't, we might have to limit it to one hour, but we'll let you know about that. We're going to do a two-hour special, uh, circumstances permitting, uh, from 12 to 2 on the 10th of June, and we're going to be talking all about this. But just briefly, uh, we, uh, I didn't see Bigfoot this trip. <laughs> I did in September 2016, at least I believe it was, uh, totally unexpected. I'm not the sort of person who sees things, but there was sort of just living color in the moonlit night walking across a field in which I was sitting. So uh, Shane himself uh, had some of the most uh, dramatic experiences this time. Shane was, um, <clears throat> and he'll, he'll explain this himself as time goes by uh, when he's here, but Shane uh, was sitting in the... Uh, sort of the, the center of the triangle, which is a clearing in the woods uh, that the family who owns this large tract of land has used as a family campground. Now, there are reunions, and they have a little wooden pavilion there, and it's, it's just lovely. I, I don't know. Uh, some people are afraid of these places. I feel welcome in these places. I don't understand that. So Shane was down there, and a very large object hit the side of the wooden pavilion, uh, and... If it was anything related to anything odd, uh, Bigfoot has been known, according to witnesses, to throw rocks and sticks, uh, <clears throat> sort of thing, but we don't know if that's what it was. And there was some, uh, what, what are known in the field as vocalizations, uh, is sort of a, a reverse bark sound. Shane can imitate it, I can't. And, uh, <clears throat> these are all things associated with, the, with these, these creatures. Um, it, he, I, he felt a bit, um, he needed a little backup. So we were stationed in different places on in the area, and we all kind of converged on the campground, uh, and um, there were some strange sounds. But, you, you know, it's the woods at night. You can't uh, really pin it down. But one of the, the oddest thing I notice about this place always is the silence. Yeah, this is the woods at night, so maybe it's more telling what you don't hear than what you do hear. Because this was last week, and it was May, uh, spring peepers, uh, the little tree frogs that, you know, call in the spring, in the early spring, and they, they peep, and they, they, they can be really loud and, and, and deafening in some cases. Uh, when you when we went outside the area here into town, they were booming all along the road, uh, peeping, I should say. Uh, but you get back to the uh, the, the general vicinity of this, this uh, center of, of activity, this campground, and uh, for a quarter mile all around it, utter 
silence. No birds, no owls, certainly no peepers. Not even any bugs or mosquitoes, which is good, but it's odd. <clears throat> so so that's that's a characteristic of this area. Probably the highlight of the weekend was the um, neighborhood meeting. We actually had a, a lovely rustic kind of um, uh, pavilion. Unfortunately, the weather was, was nice. It co- cooperated. And we had about 30 people who showed up, and almost all of them agreed to be on camera, to be interviewed on camera. Uh, and uh, those into, I, I didn't conduct any of those. I, I, I my age, I kind of like to facilitate things and uh, set up things for other people. But but uh, Charles Credo and uh, Alec Patikoff had all their equipment, and they did. Uh, <clears throat> we spent. We said we'll spend the whole day here, if we need, and we practically did, <laughs> because people were really interested in telling their stories. Uh, one family of three generations all sat down with Alec and Chuck and and they they did a lengthy interview and I haven't heard these interviews yet but I can't wait to do so and um, I think we're going to probably be um, assembling this into some sort of uh, production and perhaps putting it on YouTube but you know with the permission of those who were interviewed so we'll we'll see how that goes and we'll keep you posted on that so uh, again more on that on June 10th when the entire group that was in Pennsylvania was here um, Shane's experience uh, just just briefly was uh, before mine. That was in May of 2016 on our first uh, expedition to this site. And he was in this campground area, and it was raining, and he looked up, and there between two trees was a large, black, hairy figure, completely covered with black fur or hair. And he thought it was a bear, because this is bear country, and uh, he started his, his truck and headed up toward it, and it, it took off across uh the uh, out from under these i should say out from behind these trees flushed three deer in the process and he could see extremely long arms um waving as as the thing uh ran on two legs so that was the first experience any of our group had had there but again uh, more on that later that that's uh, <clears throat> this whole story of, of his sighting and my sighting there is in our 2017 book uh, behind the paranormal Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. Uh, that's available on Amazon. So um, let's see. We can continue here with one or two more over by Ben's. Oh, no, I wanted to share a little bit, too. Uh, paranormal news. We don't often have a chance to do that on the show. And uh, we have um, a report of an albino Bigfoot in Illinois. Okay, uh, this is from uh, <coughs> uh, courtesy of Cliff from the very excellent Pararational Newsletter. And this is just... Um, from last month, April 19th, less than a month ago. And this is a quote from uh, what Cliff reports in the Pararational uh, Newsletter. Uh, I'm usually surprised to hear of Bigfoot sightings in the Midwest, but an albino Bigfoot in Illinois is definitely a rare report. This um, report was originally posted to ccheadliner.com and took place in the early morning hours of January, uh, I beg your pardon, January 2017, uh, near Rice Lake in Illinois which is just a bit uh, southeast of Peoria. The area is dotted with lakes and ponds and would make a great Bigfoot territory. Uh, and so uh, maybe Ben can read what the witness reported here. <clears throat> this is interesting for our local audience because a, a Bigfoot of albino, or at least light fur, was reported in Rhode Island, of all places, in the, in the uh, Black Hut Management Area in Burlville in 1998. So go ahead, Ben. Alrighty. So the witness wrote in an email to the CC, uh, CCA headliner of uh, his encounter with an albino Bigfoot. I always try to drive at night as much as possible, the witness explained in an email he sent less than an hour after his sighting. Uh, there was much less traffic, and my plans uh, were to get to a motel in uh, Peoria? 
Peoria, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, just make just making sure I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. it correctly. Yep. Um, grab some sleep and visit my sick friend in the morning. I was driving through uh, an area with a fairly narrow strip of uh, pretty thick woods on both sides and a large body of water called Rice Lake, quite close uh, to the other side of the trees to my right. There was also no other traffic, and I had slowed down a little in fear of deer running out in front of me. That's a pretty safe assumption. Uh, Well, something did run out in front of me, but it was definitely not a deer. It was obviously a Bigfoot. I knew that uh, as soon as I saw it, but it didn't look like what I expected one to look like if I had ever had the chance to see one. It was well over six feet tall, maybe even seven seven feet tall, and was covered uh, all over with fairly long hair, uh, maybe about four to six inches. Uh, but the most striking thing about it was that its hair was actually white. Actually, it wasn't snow white, but instead uh, had kind of a slight cream-colored tint to it. Uh, I have never uh, heard of a white Bigfoot before. The most, uh, the mo- like most sightings of Bigfoot crossing the road, they seem uh, to hurry but not run. Uh, this one is no different. It uh, was not actually running, but its steps were so long that it was covering quite a bit of ground with each one. Uh, it n- never did turn its head to face me completely, just kind of glanced in my direction as if to make sure uh, I wasn't too close, because, you know, Bigfoot's a really big jaywalker. Uh, <laughs> but from what I could tell, uh, it had uh, thinner hair on its face and looked pretty well like a human. Um, uh, because of his color, I tried to get a uh, look at the eye color, since it was albino of any species, usually has pink eyes. Uh, these were definitely a dark color, probably brown. Well, that's interesting. And again, we're not Bigfoot experts, but we kept, I kept running into things like this, and Ben and I have, uh, while investigating, uh, like, ghost cases and things like this, people would say, well, we also saw UFOs and this, uh, hence the idea of the whole pa- flap area. There is some speculation, Ben, and th- this has come up in, in once or twice in the Pennsylvania case, just in private conversations. Uh, h- how does uh, a large, you, you need a large population of mammals in order to sustain it, probably about 500, okay? And in this area in Pennsylvania, you've got a lot of open country. Yeah, you have woods, but you don't have a huge wilderness areas. It's farm country. Where does Bigfoot come from and go to? So there was some speculation, could Bigfoot be a ghost? Mm. All right. Now, now I don't see any evidence of that. I mean, it seems very physical. And uh, our whole attitude on ghosts is very different from most people's anyway. I don't think they're spirits. It doesn't, that's not possible. Laws of physics. And uh, we've talked about that on other shows, but... The whole idea of Bigfoot coming and going, uh, in our opinion, they slip back and forth. And the, the, the native pe- peoples will sort of agree with this in, in uh, their own words. They slip back and forth between the, across the, the membranes, as physicists call it, of the theoretical parallel world. So, I mean, that's as good an explanation as any. Yeah, no, I can totally understand that. And I guess that kind of leads into our, our next listener question from Facebook, which is uh, Cliff from Question Mark. And uh, he writes to us, uh, I'm always fascinated when you guys talk about fairies. Well, I guess, you know, you could consider Bigfoot a fairy, perhaps, in a way. What kind of a big one? Well, I mean, we're not talking about the little things with wings here. It's not like we're talking about Tinkerbell. Like, fairy right, or right, fae right, right, could right, really yeah. encompass a, a menagerie yes. of mythological creatures. You explain that well. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to use the word menagerie. <laughs> uh, so he continues to say uh, about how there could be uh, some multiverse life forms that our ancestors ran into and gave the name fairy. I especially like your August 6th show with uh, Varla Ventura. Uh, do you feel that... Ah, uh, yes. Which we just we, got her new book yes. in our mail today at the station. Irony. <laughs> yes. Do you feel that interest in fairies will encourage them to manifest in your life? 
And, I mean, we're kind of up to a break, so I guess we could take the, the yeah, short break to mull it over. Yes, we will uh, meditate on that during our break. So, anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, where it's finally here. There are signs of spring. And uh, we'll be right back. So, stick with us. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, host of Coffee Ann, the longest-running panel discussion show in American radio. You never know what topic will pop up on Coffee Ann. So join us weekday mornings 8 to 9 on ON 1240 WOON Woonsocket Radio. Well, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Uh, there are a number of charities we have adopted on the show, and those have been, uh, those are very, very much present on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And, uh, I emphasize that these are all charities whose owners, uh, Ben and I, or, or just I know personally, uh, helping Haiti's orphans, uh, and, and a number of other Canadian veterans advocacy, USACares.org, helping American veterans. And these are all great charities. So check them out on our website. There's a special page for them and with links to those. And anything you can do would be really appreciated. Okay. So let's get back to our impromptu. I guess we're having impromptu open lines here. Uh, as our, our guest is, um, has had to come in from New Hampshire and was, uh, held up by a traffic accident uh, on the road and is in, is in traffic. So that's usually how it goes. Yeah. He'll be here, uh, hopefully in a few minutes. So uh, let's. Um, w- that that question was uh, about fairies, and could there have been multiverse life forms that our ancestors interacted with? Uh, to to that they're essentially that. And do you feel that the interest in fairies will encourage them to manifest in your life? There's also a couple follow ups, so I figure we'd take it one step at a time. Okay. Well, I think certainly uh, one of the things we use as an intro to some of our talks is the uh, some of the um, cave paintings from Ayers Rock in Uluru, Australia. Since we have an Australian theme today, and on these thirty-thousand-year-old cave paintings, you have what look like uh, aliens, uh, greys, or what we would call uh, Bigfoot sorts of creatures, uh, spirit kind of things that you'd see, all the sorts of, th- and even a large disc with people in it. Uh, seemingly like a UFO uh, thing, things we would call today um, characteristics of flap areas. And again, I think a, a real indication that our remote ancestors saw and interacted with something they thought were supernatural beings. I recently have been doing a lot of study of Norse mythology, um, mostly because I've, I needed a new audiobook to listen to while I was working. So I, I happened to grab um, Neil Gaiman's uh, book on Norse mythology, and I was I was listening to it because I was like, ah, you know, I know I know our our ancestry sort of stems back there and a, and a couple branches of the tree, and I was listening to it and I was like, wow, this is incredibly multiversal and oddly deep, and much more interesting than Greek mythology. So they were, they had this this idea um, that there were I think it was nine different realms that sort of existed simultaneously together, and um, the gods would travel in between in between them with this light that, that they referred to as Bifrost. So the Bifrost would sort of have the gods travel in between realms, and pretty much anybody who could utilize the Bifrost would use it to travel in between the realms, whether it was the realm of the giants, realm of fire, the realm of the elves or the dwarves, or, and, and whatnot. And I thought about it, and I, the more I listened and the more I, I was reading about it, I was like, wow, that kind of sounds like our theories, except, like, you know, it, it has, has a 
you know, Scandinavian twist on it. <laughs> yeah. And it's also strangely similar to um, the Aboriginal beliefs as well. Very true. That there was the, the dream time where everything sort of had its own spirit, like, and, and sort of ev- everything talked to everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every, everybody interacted with everything, you know, like the world tree and, and all of that that sort of kept it all together. And the idea of the tree of life and all of that, and so it sort of all comes from the same thing. And I thought it was really interesting that each realm was sort of a reflection of the other, but different in its own unique way. Sort of sort of how, you know, maybe this, this idea that, that sort of has been pervasive in human culture is starting to be, you know, picked up once again because it was kind of stamped out by scientific materialism. And, you know, modern philosophy ruined by Rene Descartes and many others. <laughs> Very well explained, Ben, I must say. Well, the Greek Greek mythology, I've always found it rather two-dimensional, but the Greeks were city people. Yeah. They were city kids. They, they had a profound civilization. They were founders of modern Western philosophy, uh, more or less. And uh, whereas the indigenous peoples, uh, and I suppose you, you could consider the Vikings and the Norse to be country folk, closer to the earth. Well, the, the name c- pagan really meant country bumpkin. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. And a, a country people are... are whether they be indigenous and Native Americans or indigenous peoples of Asia or wherever, are closer to the earth and have better memories, perhaps, unclogged by some of the baggage that's picked up when you live in a, in a sophisticated civilization with institutions that take up your attention and having to do this, that, and the other thing to make a living. So I think that that's, uh, that's extremely... And uh, in my long conversation with an Australian Aborigine in, uh, uh, elder actually in 1979 he said largely what Ben just said you know and that these things are um, uh, part of our race memory as, as a species okay so so there there we are so but the whole fairy thing as Ben uh, very very uh, aptly points out uh, on a number of occasions that it's the word fairy that kind of yeah we kind of dismiss it as you know as you say Tinkerbell and all this and we don't look any further into it because it sounds dumb. Well, there's, a, there's the other term, fae, which is essentially yes. like a creature that exists outside of our sort of per- perception. I mean, that that would include unicorns, griffins, all, all sorts of yeah. stuff. But it's more of like a category of cryptozoology slash mythological creatures. Well, that's it. Well, in our last book, uh, we, in our 2017 book, we included in the chapter on uh, uh, humanoids. Okay, yeah. at least some of the fairies anyway. And I talk about my experience in Puerto Rico in 1984 uh, with the, the family. I mean, I, you've all probably heard it before, but just briefly. I was a family um, of, um, well, uh, re- re- well-educated people. Uh, one was a real estate agent and the other was a banker with three children. Uh, lived on the, uh, on the sort of the rural outskirts of San Juan. Lovely people. And... Um, I was um, told that they would go for a walk every Saturday morning. They would leave beer and fruit on <laughs> the kitchen counter. It doesn't sound very appetizing to me. And they, they'd go for a walk for an hour and come back, and uh, all the, the chores were done. The house was cleaned. Even the breakfast dishes were cleaned and put away. And they, because of, the, of their sightings of all sorts of orbs, you know, these light balls of light outside and inside the house, they uh, made a connection. These were fairies. Now, Puerto Rico does not have a very um, extensive fairy tradition. Uh, there are traditions of these things all over the place, but, but they thought it was fairies cleaning the house. Um, I set up cameras, tripwires, a whole bit all over the kitchen and went for a walk with them 
uh, one su- Sunday morning, uh, Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, and they um, get back and the house wasn't clean. Everybody says, geez, Paul, they were pulling your leg. Well, if you knew these people, they, even the children, were you could tell you can tell when people are are uh, handing out the bovine fecal matter and that that wasn't the case with this mm. I was sure so uh, they they were upset I thought I'd have to clean the house so uh, I anyway I'm that, sure they wouldn't reward you with beer and fruit either well probably not yeah there was more to it than that but it was very interesting so uh, but I have not had too many but every time we mention the word fairy on the show we get deluged with emails people who have had interesting experiences. Um, or told, were told interesting experiences by their grandparents uh, from various traditions. Now, th- this gets into an interesting uh, point that various cultures seem to have various uh, different experiences of whether it be humanoids or cryptids or, or spirits or whatever people think they are. Uh, for example, the Irish see and hear banshees. Um, other cultures see fairies and have fairy experiences, and uh, maybe as I'm sure it's the, the different labels they put on the same phenomena uh, will result in this this cultural um, expression of of this. But I find that very interesting. So we'll we'll undoubtedly get a bunch of emails uh, next uh, coming in the coming week to tell us uh, people you know interested in the word fairy and experiences they've had. So. Um, what do we got next there, Ben? Uh, well, there was sort of more to, to oh, the right. question, but I think you kind of answered it, which okay. was uh, how many fairy experiences have been reported to you, and have you ever had any fairy encounters yourself? Oh, okay. Well, I guess I kind of answered that. But, yeah, lot, lots have been uh, uh, reported to me. Why don't you repeat, because we've talked about this very little on the show, why don't you repeat the... Um, we, in our book, we call it the Woonsocket Wild Man. Woonsocket, Rhode Island, is where our station is located in the, between Boston and Province. And we have, um, what, what, Ben had some interesting experiences, uh, on, uh, I guess it's Fairmount Hill that we li- we've lived on for 22 years. And it has, um, it, it's a pretty nice area. Uh, there at the top of the hill is, uh, um, St. Antoine's, um, hospice and, and, uh, uh, elderly housing uh, facility, and it's also um, an area where there is a 30-acre open space land of woods. And I remember one experience there that I was a very interesting place. We had just moved in. Ben was four or five years old, and his cousins were visiting from elsewhere in Rhode Island, and we took a walk uh, up into the woods there. First time I'd ever done that, and Sam the dog came with us. He wasn't our dog, but he kind of belonged to everybody in the neighborhood, big black lab. And we were, and if anybody locally knows anything about this particular field I'm going to mention, uh, let us know because I've never been able to find it again. Mm. We came upon, I'm sure you remember this, we came upon a field of yellow flowers. Oh, yes. That were just, it, it was just so beautiful. It was uh, springtime. And we, um, I just, I've never been able to find it again. And again, this is only 30 acres. And uh, just above our house, and I've never been able, been able to find it again. Now, now in ensuing years, they put some sort of a mysterious uh, tower there. You know, it was not a not a broadcast. I don't know what it is. Maybe the uh, I thought it had something to do with weather, but I'm not too sure. Well, perhaps it's a very odd looking thing. And yeah. So I mean, but I mean, there were many years that that tower wasn't there, and we still couldn't find it. So I I, I don't know. And then there, of course, was the Woonsocket Wild Man. As we call it. Oh yes, who uh, that 
that was definitely one of one of the weirder. That was a very strange time in in my life. Yes. Oh yeah. Probably right. change that, huh? Yes. Thank you. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a very odd time as as a teenager. Teenage teenage life is not very very easy, at least to the to the teenager experiencing it. But I was I was uh, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've told the story a couple of times. I was on my way back from work, and there was sort of this unwritten rule that um, you know you don't go into the woods at night. You know, whenever when I was a little like when I was a kid running around the neighborhood with with my friends, it was like you know you just you just don't do that. There was like you know just you just didn't. That it was always a terrible idea to do that. So we just never did. And you know I I figured it was kind of like a. It was it was still like it was like mid spring, so it was you know the days were getting longer. So I thought I could get away with you know walking home from work at like eight o'clock at night to like you know get home, and it it was a terrible idea because I uh, I stepped down into the path behind you know San Antoine's nursing home, and uh, I sort of had this feeling I was being watched, and I was like, eh, you know you get that all the time. I'm just gonna ignore it. So I decided to just keep walking, and I sort of, I, it got like stronger and stronger, and I was like, that's really strange. So I turned around and looked, and from behind this rock, because, you know, there's a bunch of just random rocks all over the place, and, and like cliffs and stuff, presumably le- left over by, you know, the receding of, um, glaciers, but there's just rocks all over the place. So behind this, like, this rock, I saw, like, this, like, furry, like, head sort of peeking over. And I, I just was like, all right, well, I got to get out of here. And I sprinted all the way home, which was a solid, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a long way to run. So I sprinted all the way home, did not stop, did not turn around. I just had a feeling I had to get out of here. You know, people, there, there were, there was like a homeless population living at the woods, not at the time, but there was like a, like a, like sort of like a little like hobo settlement as we, were, we called it when we were kids, but there were a lot of homeless people living there, but they were recently kicked out by the police, so I, I know that. It was, I don't know, it was, it might might have been somebody, but I don't know, I just got like a really, really bad feeling about it, and I, I trust my instincts, so running was probably the best choice. Yeah, I remember that day, you you were, you came in and you were all disheveled and... Well, yeah, it just rained and I, I sprinted for like yeah. a solid 20 minutes. All right. Okay, let's go... Um to Lon Strickler, a very good friend of ours who keeps a tremendous database of paranormal news uh, for a few updates here. And uh, here's one uh, where someone is describing a bizarre mark received from a shadow being. Now, shadow people, that's uh, Heidi Hollis, our, our good friend, uh, we're occasionally on her show, and she's been on ours, um, came up with the term shadow people and coined that, and now it's in general use in the paranormal. It supposedly is, uh, you know, you wake up at night and there, there's a shadowy being, you really can't see any features, sometimes it's wearing a hat, uh, might be related to the men in black, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm always a little suspicious of experiences had on the cusp of sleep, just as you're going to sleep, and just as you're waking up, you're very sensitive, and uh, I don't know, but again, who knows, they were there and I was not. So this is from Lon, and someone is telling him about a, a very bizarre experience. I am describing my first experience that I can remember here. I believe I was nine years old. I had gone to bed that Saturday night, probably between the hours of 10 and 11 p.m. I lived in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, uh, where we have a lot of listeners. Uh, my bedroom was on the top floor of our house uh, in a turret, in one of those round rooms. Uh, there was a single bed on either side of the room, which was in the shape of an octagon. Yeah, you know, you've, old houses, you've seen, Victorian houses, you've seen rooms of that shape. 
I woke in a start and looked over at the other bed and saw my my cat sleeping there. He always did. I then looked at the clock radio, which had been uh, acting strangely over the past few weeks. This is interesting because electrical phenomena do occur in the presence of some of these weird paranormal things, and I think they're related. Uh, and to continue, it had been turning itself on and off all by itself, uh, usually around the same time at night. Perhaps I'd gotten uh, so used to that is why uh, I had had awakened. Uh, suddenly, I found myself paralyzed on my back, unable to move. Kind of like sleep paralysis, almost. Mm. All right. uh, there was a very small and short being beside me to the left. Uh, the right side of my bed was up against the wall. Uh, this being was also a shadow. Uh, it began to communicate with me via ESP. Uh, I was somehow unable to communicate back with it in the same way. Uh, I do not remember everything. I do remember it asking me if I wanted to join it on its ship. Now, <laughs> is that a shadow being, or is that is that your classic gray, okay? Then, uh, suddenly the craft appeared by the window. Green, Greenish-blue and violet lights were flashing from a silver disc like UFO uh, that was being operated by others that were, were in the room with me. Uh, it went on for several minutes. Uh, and then during this period, uh, the shadowy being took, uh, being took what was to me its index finger and touched me on my solar plexus. I then awoke in a start. All right. Now, th- this is in, an example of what we might call crossover phenomena. And this, this is in, indicative of things we run into in flap areas. I'm thinking of our good friend Kathleen Marden uh, from MUFON, uh, who and we consult with her and, and vice versa on cases where you know you're investigating somebody saying they're having an abduction experience and all of a sudden their house uh, they're starting having poltergeist activity and things that they refer to as demonic going on so crossover phenomena uh, may defy the labels that we put on them now this example of what's happening in Canada a couple of things stand out about this um, he says that he woke up so maybe the whole thing was a dream I don't know uh, on the other hand, uh, what one thing we look for is when people, and sometimes you find it, is when people say they're being abducted or they're having this or that happening, sometimes there are other witnesses. Uh, people on another street may say, well, yeah, I saw this weird light hanging around the guy's window. And I'm not saying that happened in this case because I don't know. But <clears throat> um, these are things that you have to look for. So whether you take, you can never take these things at face value. There's always some part of the story people don't tell you. And there are always things that are going on. Uh, that they might not, not even associate with their experience that may have um, things to do with, with, with other uh, kinds of phenomena. Mm. You just don't know. In the Pennsylvania case, uh, in, in the case in uh, Connecticut, in the Bridgewater Triangle not far from here, in all the cases we've investigated, you've got strange lights associated with things like Bigfoot, or in England they call the Yeti. Um, and these things, uh, even our friend Ronnie LeBlanc uh, up in Lemonster, Mass., has done some some great work on Bigfoot research there, and uh, his book is called Monsterland, hmm. which uh, is actually what people call this this area, and he associates very closely the Bigfoot sightings with orange balls of light. I don't quite know what the connection is. Uh, he's going to be speaking at uh, the Saucer Symposium. We always speak at every little bit at the end of May. We'll talk talk about that at the end of the show. But it's um, just one of those um, those things where maybe the labels we put on things just aren't adequate. Yeah. You know, so That could be it. 
I think that's that's one of the issues. I forget who who we had on on the show with us, who was saying that um, the problem with the modern paranormal field is there's too many too many terms for things, and like everyone says different things, but they all mean the same thing. Yeah, well, well that's, that's, just, that's in our communication in general in this society. We'll often say one thing, people will interpret it one way, and it's not really what we mean, and even sometimes terms are, are understood in different ways. Yeah. But one thing um, I did want to mention, because uh, people have been asking about it, is um, um, my next book is coming up, and, and a lot of the... I'm looking for a lot of old notes uh, that were... I just hadn't looked at in, in some of them in decades. And the first chapter is about something whose memory I've worked very hard to bury, and it's uh, it's, it's very upsetting to write about. I, I, don't, I don't like writing this book. Uh, the first chapter is going to be lengthy, and it's going to be about uh, experiences I had with one, especially one particular exorcism I assisted a priest with in the 1973 in uh, Augensburg, New York, at the State Hospital there when I was a seminary student there. And in my notes, uh, speaking of crossover phenomena, I was astounded to find something that I had forgotten completely, and that's that uh, five of the seven people uh, whose exorcisms I assisted at had had UFO experiences and alien encounters. Really? Yes. Um, I only just found this like last week as I was working on this chapter. And we didn't, Father Lawrence Cotter and I, who was the priest I was working with, we didn't pay much attention to that because, oh, that's a whole different kind of thing. And these people were in a state hospital anyway, so they were, they were kind of officially disturbed in the first place, so it probably had nothing. But I just, you know, in ensuing years, we'd keep running into these things um, in ensuing decades. and That's so interesting. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. I, I, I wrote Kathy Martin and Denise Stoner about that. Uh, and they said that's because the, they're looking in. They, they work with the um, Dr. Edgar Mitchell uh, Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters, huh. and uh, that's why they come to us sometimes, just unofficially. For you know, what do we think on this? When when again, somebody's having a UFO experience, and all of a sudden their house is turned upside down by what seems to be a poltergeist. Yeah, it's a that's you know, really things you wouldn't usually associate. But this this thing with um, but uh, so I, I'm going to have to mention that, that you know, every it's. Five out of seven people. Fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I must say, nobody mentioned fairies. No, that no, I can no, see no. so far. Sa- sadly, yeah. No, but again, know. through all these uh, these notes are kind of crumbly and forty-five years old and been through fires and floods in our in our crazy lives in the Eno household. That's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very clear that obviously these people were having this sort of thing. Yeah. So that's something. So, that something was definitely yeah. going on. Exactly. Well, I guess that kind of sort of leads into a final Facebook question, if you'd like to take it. Sure. All right, so this is uh, Colin from Chipatchet, Rhode Island. This is short and sweet, but that could mean a 20-minute answer. So uh, he says, I thought I heard uh, you say that the age of a house makes no difference whether it is haunted. Uh, can you say more about this, please? Oh, okay, well, nice short and sweet question. Well, sure. Uh, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical perception is that old houses uh, or haunted houses are old houses. That's not true at all. You don't even have to have a house to uh, to have this quote-unquote hauntings going on. Uh, for example, in the Pennsylvania case, I mean, the, the the haunted campground, if you want to call it that, you have Bigfoot and weird lights. Uh, I've gotten photographs there. We've gotten photographs there. When, when you and I were there in last July, uh, very strange uh, lights coming up out of the woods there, and, and these, are, these are common occurrences in this area. Um, so, and the house with the shadow people problem, 
you met uh, the people there, Ben, we were there, uh, is not an old house at all. Okay, and uh, it was great. You, you have to hand it to Shane. Uh, Shane uh, sort of just um, uh, he walked into this house, and he, I don't know. He scared the whatever it was. They haven't seen the, the, the there was a really nasty kind of shadow person type thing that people were reporting. They never saw it again after Shane came in. So they love to see him coming. Yeah, and uh, we, we we love to see him coming too. But uh, in any case, there was. Uh, I, I, I've, I investigated the house in Middletown, Rhode Island, before you came aboard. This is back in the 90s. And um, brand new. Brand new. So it's not the house, or even necessarily what's happened there. A lot of it has to do with where the house is, where it's located, what kind of land it's on. Uh, we, we have, again, looking beyond the classic interpretation of dead people and all this stuff in a house, or somebody was angry. You know, you find certain characteristics you find uh, very active uh, electromagnetic fields caused by geotechnic phenomena underneath the house. Uh, the site uh, may have been a cornfield forever, but you may have high water table, uh, and you may have clay and sandy soils, which somehow conducts a lot of these strange electrical fields. So there are all sorts of... I thought that was an owl. There, there are some uh, very, very strange uh, things that occur that might not be associated with the paranormal, but which have great uh, effect on uh, whether events can take place there. That's true. The presence of high-tension wires. Uh, one of our wildest and longest cases, uh, starting in 1998 uh, in Boroughville, Rhode Island, right in our listening area, uh, was a, a, a parasite situation, negative, uh, and the, the, there were two parasites. One dominated the other because there were about nine different species of these things, and they were uh, plaguing a family there uh, in uh, Boroughville, and they would uh, go from one member of the household to the other. Uh, we brought in what we do. Um, I think the whole exorcism thing, that I was involved in the 70s was the wrong thing to do. I think, in fact, that the uh, right of exorcism fed the parasite yeah. who would play along. These are just the impressions I get. And I guess I, w- I was 21, 22 years old. Like, nobody was going to listen to me. But I think that <clears throat> what, what, what you do is you bring in positive energy, and that's what we do in these, these negative cases today. And uh, the food supply is cut off for the parasites, and off they go, generally, or they'll move on. So... The house does not have to be old at all. Uh, there are, I think it also depends on the people. As Shane uh, Searway points out very wisely, it's not a place that's haunted, it's the people. <clears throat> there was a house here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Uh, this is before Ben was involved, but we had, the Shane, Shane was involved, and we had um, some very interesting experiences there, and the, um, we got lots of interesting photos. And the house was old, but the people who lived there were so positive that nothing uh, negative could get a grip. Uh, the same thing with uh, our friends in Torrington, Connecticut, at the old farmhouse, which is the center of the Litchfield Triangle, as we call it. And um, there we have it. So it doesn't have to be old. It depends on the people, not the house, in our opinion. So I guess that's about all we have time for. I guess uh, I hope our guest is still on the way. At least we can hang out a bit, but uh, very unfortunate that he couldn't. But we'll make up for it uh, in future shows. Okay, so uh, let us get back to our announcements here, Ben. Yes. 
And we have, on behalf of uh, all of us here at the show, we want to thank uh, Alice and Dan and all the wonderful folks in the Dubois, Pennsylvania region we mentioned before. Uh, they welcomed us once again uh, last weekend as our investigation of the strange doings in their area expands. Uh, many agreed to be interviewed on camera, as we said, including one family of three generations. We look forward to our next ex- expedition, and again, we thank them very much for their warm hospitality. Indeed. So our next event, also featuring Alex, Shane, Searway, and uh, some others you may have heard on these airwaves, will take place in less than two weeks. That's May 26th and 27th at the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratum, New Hampshire. And this event uh, helps raise funds for the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend, uh, which in turn is a fundraiser for the uh, local Kiwanis Club Children's Charities. And uh, this is the fourth year in a row that we've spoken at the Saucer Symposium, and we'll present some new material on our flat area cases. And we will also do our second annual live broadcast from there on the 27th with a panel of the speakers. On Saturday, July 21st, not as far away as it sounds, uh, we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. And on Labor Day weekend in September... We'll be back at the Exeter UFO Festival in uh, New Hampshire. As uh, we said, this is a great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis uh, Club Children's Charities in uh, southern New Hampshire. And then on Columbus Day weekend in October, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. You know, last year the Exeter UFO Festival raised $9,000 for local children's charities. and we just that, That's our favorite event of the year. I feel like it gets bigger and bigger every year, too. It does, yeah, yeah. And we also love the... the uh, Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, organized by our really good friend uh, Susan Spooler, and uh, that's a uh, that's pr- one, uh, certainly one of our favorite events too of the year. Uh, <clears throat> our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal: Everything You Know Is Wrong, is finally available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle and Apple iTunes, and it's uh, available in stores as well. Uh, and you can get it a paperback from Amazon. You can get it any way you like. <laughs> it says it's there, and uh, a lot of people have been asking for that. Uh, you can also get uh, all of our books. Uh, they're widely available, but if you order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you. Uh, books in- include the first two of our um, in our series, uh, again, uh, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and uh, then also the Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of, and the one I just mentioned that I'm working on, uh, Ben is sitting this one out because it all happened before he was born. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds. That title may change. The publisher gets his hands on it, but we'll see what happens. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> also, a number of books I um, wrote on my own. Uh, in previous years, they're all, they're all there. Uh, so don't forget about our our website having those seven over seven hundred and sixty free show recorded shows from both of our times on uh, Owen twelve forty and our four and a half year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And don't forget about our YouTube channel, which we are working on stuff for uh, as we speak. Absolutely. So what do we got next week, Ben? So next week. Uh, that is uh, May 20th. Uh, we'll have author and researcher uh, Jason Jarrell uh, back from uh, or back on the show to uh, talk about some more evidence of prehistoric giants in North America. I thought you were going to say back from the dead. Oh yes, with yeah, yeah back from the dead. Yes, uh, and with us we will also have our special guest co-host Steve Laplume. Now we leave you this afternoon with some wisdom from 20th century Scottish theologian William Barclay. There are two great days in people's lives, the day they were born and the day they discover why.
I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.